When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. A video nasty for Swansea. Hello and welcome to episode 35. Yes, if you're marking your scorecards now, that's episode 35 of the Real Football Cast. I'm your host, Dan Tracy, and in the next 60 minutes, we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, we'll be discussing what's been going on in the Premier League and the FA Cup over the past few days. Or in addition to that, there are also some off-pitch activities that caught our eye and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. It's time for another afternoon recording. It seems to be the fashion at the moment, and after being kept on his toes by Jess last week, Cole once again is not giving up for that captain's armband. So how have things been with you this week, mate? Yeah, really good, thanks, Dan. And uh, looking forward to another possibly controversial episode of our pod, mate. Yes, I mean, we're not going to be creating controversy. We might be sort of discussing it, but I don't think we're going to be doing anything too outrageous, or at least I hope not, Cole. Well, we never know yet, Dan, do we, where this could go. (laughs) That's right, yes. It could unfold in many different directions over the next 60 minutes. But before it does fall apart wildly, let's do some social media bits first. Otherwise, I'll be talking to the Abyss once more. So first... If you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at StanTracy1983. Anything show-related, send it my way. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. And if you use that platform, then don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you're not a fan of all things Apple, then you can also find me on SoundCloud and Acast. Well, the easiest way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. As you should know by now, the Real Football Cast is sponsored by Loser Pool. And what is Loser Pool, I hear you ask? It's a game that sees betting turns on its head, with the focus being on the loser. If this has grabbed your interest, then be sure to visit loserpool.com and create an account, especially as there's another new prize pool which guarantees a winner £1,000. Something you won't want to miss out on. So the odds of winning are great, but they're even better if you sign up. Right then, it's time to go live. And where should we go first? Let's go to the FA Cup. And before we talk about performances and who won what, it's about VAR really. It's in the headlines, not because it was used incorrectly, but for the simple fact, I guess, it wasn't used at all at times. So, Carl, Swansea were giving... City, an almighty fright. They're what, 2 up. And although Pen- Pep's men won out in the end, many are feeling that there's been something of an imbalance with VAR. I mean, surely at the quarterfinals, regardless of the ground that it's at, it needs to be installed. As otherwise, it throws up that exact scenario that we saw at the weekend. 
Yeah, there's something not right about kind of what's gone on there, is it? Because when you kind of sit there and think that poor old Swansea uh, potentially have gone out of the FA Cup because they basically are not a Premier League side and haven't been able to put in the technology to have VAR. Whereas should that game be played at, say, um, Man City's ground, then there's a possibility that Swansea get through in that tie because those those goals and those decisions get reviewed and possibly overturned. Um, for me, that doesn't sit right. Like, as you said, at this stage of the competition, for me, wherever the games are going to take place, then the governing body need to make sure that VAR is able to be used at those grounds. Um, and for me, I don't really even see why, you know, this is for me would be where the sort of money that there is nowadays in the Premier League. I don't really see why the Premier League clubs can't be able to kind of fund that sort of, you know, if it's needed that Swansea need you know X amount to get this installed at their ground, then I don't really see why that can't be covered by some sort of pot of money that is pumped into the Premier League that just flows down to the other leagues. Um but for me, yeah, if it's going to be used in one game, then it's used in all of them. If it can't be used at a certain ground, then to me, the decision should be made that VAR isn't in play that weekend because, you know, there's one team here that potentially could go out of the competition because they can't have something reviewed. And we've seen that that is the case in the City game. You know, both of those decisions, you know, the penalty decision and then Aguero's winner, you know, if VAR's in play, those decisions are ruled out and City don't get those two goals that push them through to the next round. I mean, I guess with the FA Cup, the issue, as we've seen, is because there's so many teams at different levels, that that creates a situation, really. I mean, the Champions League, everyone's a top-level club and they've got the money, it gets installed. So, like you say with the Premier League, you, you could almost imagine the situation where what should happen is the FA fork out the cost. If they said it has to be installed at the quarterfinals, regardless of where you are in the league pyramid... And the cost that they'll fork out. Because at worst, they've only got to pay for it for four matches. It's not going to be too much of a dent to their pocket, even if it just came from the FA coffers. So surely it just needs to be like an absolute ruling where they say, um, you know, quarterfinals, all in. Because otherwise, as Swansea sort of have felt the punishment, they're almost punished for having a home draw now, aren't they? Yeah, that's right. As you say, quite rightly, you, you know, you either the FA have either got to make a ruling, which is, OK, if we've got a team in the quarterfinals that can't have this technology, then it's not in use in any of those games in that round. And we basically, if you like, go back to the old fashioned way of whatever the referee gives on the day is given. Or, as you say, if you've got it and you're going to allow some teams to use it then the FA must have to make sure that technology is in use at every ground. Because, as you say, Swansea's so-called advantage has now actually cost them being in the semi-final of an FA Cup where, let's face it, you never know what's going to happen. You know, if you manage to beat Man City, then for all you know, you could go on and win the tournament. But like, as you've said, their so-called advantage has now turned to their biggest disadvantage and they're sitting there at the end of 90 minutes thinking, well, do you know what? If we'd been at Man City right now, we'd be through to a semi-final of the FA Cup, but it, we've kind of been punished, in a way, by this. I mean, at the same time, not that I'm sort of sticking up for what's happened, but Millwall didn't have Vaughan. It sort of worked to their favour, almost, when Brighton had a last-minute extra-time goal disallowed, where had VAR been in place, that should have probably stood. So, although it worked in their favour, it has shown this weekend that the technology seems to be working a lot better, but the implementation of it is far from perfect. Yeah, I, I think this is going to be the biggest bugbear, isn't it? And the biggest thing that either is going to hold VAR back or push it on, you know. 
we've said this numerous times now, you know, it's going to be the way it's implemented that really either integrates it into our game or potentially we get to a point where people are just screaming for it to be removed from the game, you know. If it's done properly, it's a brilliant tool. And, and let's face it, in this day and age, we should have it because football is the only sort of game that's not using the sort of technology that's out there at the moment and when you consider the costs and everything that's involved it's hard to believe that we're not you know we football should have been on top of this technology and other sports should have been following um so yeah it's all about implementation and it's just little things like this this weekend that give those who are in doubt of our and don't want it an excuse to just constantly bash it over the head and basically scream, we don't want this in our game. Yeah, unfortunately, it's the, the stick that's being used to beat VAR again. Like you say, anyone who sort of finds a weakness will pounce on it. You sort of think that because it's happened, it might be, I don't know, it's not a good thing, but at least it might sort of become such an issue where the FA do actually then feel forced to act. So although it's been a like an oversight or a blip this season, and then hopefully, well, you'd think at least they would put, like I say, some sort of absolute ruling in next time so we don't have to go through this purpose again next time around. Yeah, that 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 is the thing, is you know that that's hope that the the those high profile incidents have just kind of suddenly made people stop and think and go, yeah, actually next year we need to crack down and make sure this is done properly from this stage onwards. So I, I don't think we'll see it again because, like as you say, Dan, I, I think the fact that Swansea have kind of been dealt a bad hand and it's been so so publicised about what's happened, I, I think next year the FA will jump on this one and make sure it's implemented properly. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, let's be honest, it's no, never going to be like the, the third or fourth round because there's too many games and all that. But I think certainly with just four games in a round, you're sort of thinking, well, what cost is it really? You know, and why should a team, like we've just sort of said, be punished for playing at home? And that's the advantage that in years gone by, you might have sort of won a game because you're in front of your own fans and it's worked against them. So, you know, like I say, it's getting there. It's not perfect. But I think, unfortunately, you need these kinks to make it perfect. But it's just... You know, if, if it happened to Tottenham, you'd be absolutely miffed, wouldn't you? So if we were away from home and we got VARD done over, you know, but it's just the sort of the hand you're dealt. But it's a very unfortunate hand for Swansea. But if we think of the game itself, I mean, no one would have thought Swansea would have gone tooling up, would they? And it must be said that Berant Salina's goal was something pretty special, almost Man City-like itself, wasn't it? Yeah, Pep kind of got Pep, didn't he? Yes. Total football there. Um, and uh, yeah, Swansea's effort there was unreal. Um, I suppose, you know, the, those sort of performances are always the frustrating ones if you're a fan, aren't they? Because they're the games you come away saying, why can't we play like that every week? Because if we played like this every week, we'd be top of the championship, heading back to the Premier League. No one could touch us. You know, look how close we've just run Man City. But... It it just seems that way, doesn't it? You know, Swansea were on top of it. They wanted it. They were first to every ball. I mean, their guy up front, the pace that guy has is scary. I mean, I've not seen a striker with that sort of pace um, for a long while. I mean, there's just blistering pace. And as you say, their, their sort of total football goal just put Man City right on the back foot. Um, and it just reminded me of that game that City had at Wigan 
last time out in the FA Cup where, you know, a game where you think they're going into it and they're going to cruise it, suddenly it's like, hold on a minute, City could be about to, for the second year in a row, go out to a team that you just wouldn't expect them to even, you know, cause them their reserves any trouble, let alone the first team. So I think Pep will be mightily relieved to get through that one and keep the quadruple dream alive. But what a performance from Swansea City. And I suppose, if you you know, they've just got to hope that that's the kind of performance they now know they can achieve. And, you know, if you're one of their fans, you just hope they start playing that way week in, week out. I mean, even with Aguero's penalty, that was desperately unlucky, wasn't it? The fact it hits Northfield on the head and goes in. And I think it was interesting, the fact that Pep Guardiola obviously got to half-time, didn't make any changes, as if to say, right, you got us into this mess, now you've got to get us out of it. Because although VAR, I guess, aided them, or the lack of VAR, it wasn't the absolute reason why they won. And it just sort of also shows that you can't really keep a good side down, can you? Yeah, I would imagine at half-time, Pep probably was a little bit animated. And like, as you say, there probably would have been, you know, this thing of, listen, you know, you've got, as you say, you've got us in this mess. I'm now going to give you, you know, 20 minutes, half hour to go out there and undo the damage that you've done. And and if that doesn't happen by that time, then some of you are going to be sacrificed. Um, You know, City were always going to put the pressure on. You knew it. Um, and I think it was just that, you know, the minute that first goal came, you kind of always thought, right, here we go. You know, now they've got one back, the momentum might just push them over the line again. But I suppose no one saw it coming from the sort of decisions that then followed. Um, but yeah, if Swansea could probably maybe have just held out another, you know, 10, even five, 10 minutes to that, to that two goal lead, then they probably would have been in the semi finals of the FA Cup. Um, but you can never write a team off with the quality City you got. And when you can bring people like Aguero off the bench, then that, that's when you know you're, you, you kind of got the firepower to get you out of any situation. So if one Manchester side made the final four, it was not to be a double just a couple of hours later. So Manchester United dumped out by Wolves. It's a case if you wait for one domestic defeat under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and then two almost come along at once. Yeah, United just weren't on it at all, were they? Um, and don't get me wrong, that's a difficult, you know, it was a diff- difficult tie for them because Wolves, uh, we've all been really impressed by Wolves this year. Um, and you kind of always knew that was going to be a difficult game um, for United away at Molyneux. Um, but they just weren't. They just they just didn't seem in it, United. You know, they never really got going. Wolves are a good side, and they've got players that they can pick you apart. Um, you know, Neves, Matinho. You know, five million Matinho cost Wolves this summer. I mean, that that's probably going to be the bargain of the season if there is one. Um, and yeah, full credit to Wolves because you know they've got some real momentum behind them this season. And right now. I, I would put them as possibly them and City as the two that should be in the final. Um, and at that point, I wouldn't rule out Wolves being able to cause a shock in the final at all. No, that would make for a great cup final, actually. I mean, when I guess there's a relative cup upset, it's always a case of the bigger team, what they did wrong. But I mean, as you should have just sort of hinted, it does a disservice to Wolves because, again, they showed that they're a really tough nut to crack at Molyneux. Yeah, they are. You know, they've been fantastic this year. Um, and at Molyneux, they, you know, 
they've had a few slip-ups there this year that you kind of didn't see coming. But I suppose that's going to be expected of any team. Um, but they, they are a real good side and they play some really good football. Um, and there's no fear. You can see there's no fear in Wolves this year. You know, they haven't come up with this backs to the wall and, you know, we're going to try and catch teams out. But they have just come and said, we're going to play our football and we're going to attack you as much as you attack us. Um, and they've got some great players that can pull it off. Um, and full credit to them because I don't think, you know, I think this season most people were tipping Fulham to be the team to look out for. Um, and Wolves, you know, although they were no mugs, I certainly didn't see the sort of season they've had, that's for sure. No, I think they were always going to sort of ruffle a few feathers. But, I mean, they've been, you know, like I say, we've been uh, waxing lyrical about Wolves quite often on this show. And they've been so impressive. And like you say, them winning the FA Cup is not outside realms of possibility at all and I think you know like they and Watford you get the feeling that obviously one of them or maybe even both could be in Europa League football next season and I think it's fully deserved it also sort of shows that those two teams certainly being rewarded for having a proper crack at the FA Cup and look what it sort of bought them yeah, I mean, if, you know, we've spoke about this before, I know, you know, if you're one of those sides that you're possibly looking to finish with inside the top seven or eight, then why are you not going for the domestic cups, you know, because that surely, if you know you're not going to be one of those teams in a relegation battle, and you're not going to be one of those top four sides, then surely your aim is to win the FA Cup or League Cup, and that should be what you put, you know, your eggs in those baskets, you know, right, we're safe in the league, we know we're not going to go down, so now the real aim is to win a cup. And Wolves, as you say, Wolves and Watford have fully been committed to that, where it's like we're taking every game seriously, we're not going to back down, and, you know, we are going to give these competitions a real crack, and, and that's been brilliant, you know, and fully, you know, that that's say fully deserved that those two teams have made the semi-finals because there have been other teams that have kind of not showed the competitions as much respect possibly as some will feel. Um, you know they've got what they deserved, whereas these two uh, these two have got what they've deserved, and that is semi-final places. In terms of United, obviously you know now dumped out of the cup, is it a case of putting that one to bed and then sort of thinking right our season is now eight league matches long and whatever Champions League exploits they also have. I guess you could also make the same kind of case for Tottenham, Chelsea and Arsenal. Now it's literally like a mini season where it starts now and it's a big race to the end. Yeah, I mean, I think once when Jose left and they were kind of 11 points behind, um, top four wasn't even in their thinking at that point, was it? And that miraculous turnaround to now get themselves, you know, within a point of that top four battle, as you say, now that they are just going to focus on that. And as you say, it's almost season starting from the first game again for those in contention for top four. You know, as you say, this is now, this is almost like American football playoff style, isn't it? Where it's like every game could see you, you know, one dropped game, one drop point could really cost you in this battle. So, yeah, that they probably... You know, the Champions League, I think, was a bonus for them. I don't think they would have seen themselves getting through that tie with PSG. So that's another, you know, a nice little bonus that they can, you know, try and get past Barcelona now. But as you say, I think for them, it's top four. The only thing you would want to say is, again, you know, we've spoke about it was always good. Spurs used to come back from a defeat and get a result the next game, you know. So they won't want to start seeing too many results in a row because then I think the halo starts to slip from Ollie's head and actually people start to go, oh, hold on a minute. 
maybe you know this praising him and Ollie's the Ollie's the genius. Maybe this actually isn't what's happened. And yes, he had his new manager burst, but actually, is that gone now? Um, are we now seeing? You know, a couple more defeats, and I think you'll have people saying, "Well, actually, hold on a minute. Is this guy actually any good? Is he? Is he got what it takes tactically, or can he handle a job like this?" So they'll want to stop the rot in the next game because another defeat. I think you know questions will start getting asked pretty quickly of of Ole at United. Yeah, I mean, it's a fair point actually because I think people have forgotten he's not actually the permanent manager yet. You know, you sort of think on the balance of probabilities he will be, but at the same time. United still have to finish strong, don't they? Because it's all very well getting to sort of March now in this burst that's get you, you know, in the mix again when they obviously weren't expected to do much, if anything, at all. But, you know, you've, you get to there, but then you've got to get over the line as well. So he's, I guess, to a certain degree, still sort of working for that permanent appointment, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, I've got a couple of United fans, um, and when I talk to them, uh, they're in limbo in how they feel because. At certain points, they like Ollie and they want, you know, they want him to do well. But then they're also, you know, when I've spoken to him, they've kind of actually said, I'm not sure if he is the right man for us going forward. And, and the guy they actually want is Potch. You know, they, you know, some of them still feel, he's like, well, no matter how good Ole does, we actually really would like Pochettino to be the manager because we just think long term, he's the man that could probably bring us the greatest success. So I think, you know, a lot of United fans are in a bit of limbo how they feel at the moment. I think, you know, they obviously want Ole to do well with everything he did for them. But I still think there's that element of doubt in their minds about whether he's actually the right man or not for that job. And possibly the fear could be, you know, like Di Matteo at Chelsea, you know, he's done so well they had to give him the job. But actually, was it the right move? As time told, it wasn't. And that could possibly be the fear for United. You know, it all runs well right now, but they have a bad start to the season and a bad few months. Then, you know, possibly the man that they think they should have got, it's too late now and that, that's gone. The horse has bolted and now they're stuck in a season that hasn't started off well and, and Ollie's getting found out. Well, this is it, isn't it? Because they've already lost, I guess, target 1B in Zidane because that was, you know, a possibility as well. So their options have sort of diminished in the last couple of weeks. And you are right. And I think you, the theory you've sort of mentioned with Di Matteo is, I think, how it will exactly pan out. That this sort of galvanisation and burst of results has been incredible. You know, better than anyone could have imagined, United fans or not. And I think it's almost, it's like forced United's arm in the sense that they almost have to give him the job. You know, whether he wins the Champions League or not, I think he's done enough. But there is always that danger of when you hit the reset button, you've got a full season (laughs) and, you you know, you've got to buy players as well. You know, that kind of stuff. You know, you buy players, you identify targets and you sort of think, right, you know, how good is he in the transfer market? Because if you're being there long term, you've got to do that every year. And if you're no good at that, then it's all very well. It's almost, I guess, to a certain degree, akin to international football, where if you sort of come in and work with a group of players that you can't, amend in any real way you just say right this is what I've got and I'm going to get the absolute best out of him but when you sort of then think right you know I've got to go spend some money and try and get his team to keep going and going that's another challenge in itself so you sort of think how would he be with a transfer market behind him and like I say if things get sticky by November they probably have to hit the reset button again and then yeah, right. pops as well then you think right who can we get so you've also got that thing this year haven't you that he went in when the morale was at its utmost low so he couldn't he couldn't make the club and some of those players any worse because they were at bottom 
So just an arm around the shoulder. Dave's players also had a point to prove to Jose that they wanted to stick two fingers up to him and say, well, this is what we can actually do. Um, and again, will that go? By the summer, has that sort of motivation to prove Jose wrong um, and stick two fingers up to him gone? And then, like as you say, then they are looking at Oli going, well, actually, I don't think you're much better. If I'm honest, you know, we, we were just playing for ourselves at the end, you know, a bit like Chelsea under Di Matteo. The reality probably is it looks like JT and Frank Lampard were probably running that side uh, from the dressing room. And he was just the man on the sideline in the suit getting credit for it when actually the players were the ones with the real change. And as it's proved, you know, yeah, that, that doesn't last long term. If you've, as you've said, start the season off poorly, run a bad result players that you've brought in don't start doing it and all of a sudden the axe will wield but I think their biggest fear will be their main their main main target has then gone and then who do you turn to again are you looking for another interim manager to get you through to the end of that season and that's just a nasty merry-go-round to get on really yeah I think you're absolutely right I mean it'd be interesting to see if United stick or twist and I think they've got to make a decision soon but you know there's still certainly lots of twists and turns. I think a lot of it will depend on how the top four finishes and, again, who wins the Champions League. And while we're on the topic of the Champions League, what do you think of the draw itself? So we're into the, the quarter-final, the business end of the competition. In terms of English teams, who'd be the happiest with their pairing? Uh, well, I think Liverpool would obviously be the happiest. I think, you know, their draw... Um, was was a nice draw. You can't. You would see them over two legs getting through. Um, I think you know. Obviously, Man City. I don't think necessarily would be too uh, would have been too alarmed and too distressed. Although, again, you know, they'll know that you know playing Spurs isn't going to be an easy fixture for them. Um, so they will need to be on it. But you, if you were City, you'd be confident you should be able to win that over two legs. Um, and for United, obviously, yeah, you know, they probably wouldn't have wanted Barcelona. But at the same time, like as I say, in this competition and the result they've just had, you never know. Um, you know, Barcelona, although they've got Messi and let's face it, he is brilliant. Um, you know, I think Barcelona can still be got at, possibly. Um, but United would have to be on their A game in both those games. Um, so, yeah, I think Liverpool would be the most happy. City probably after that, and then obviously Spurs and United would go, well, they weren't the ties we want, but this is Champions League football, we're no mugs, and you know we could possibly bring, spring a surprise here like there was in the last round. So, yeah, I think Liverpool be the favourites there, and they'll be the most happy. And in the Thursday night cup, what do you think of Arsenal being paired with Napoli? Yeah, great, great game that one. Um, that that will be a real interesting fixture. Um, if you you know looking at the way Arsenal have played in that in their away fixtures, they'll really need to step it up if they're going to try and get through. Because I don't think they'd get so lucky this time. You know, if they allow Napoli to kind of bully them away from home, they, if they try to go to that second leg game being a couple of goals down this time, I don't think they'll get so lucky. Um, not sure how you call that one. Arsenal are just a funny side as always, aren't they? One week they can be really good, the next week really poor. Um, I could still see a Chelsea-Arsenal final in that competition, though. It really wouldn't surprise me, you know, because Napoli haven't been as good as they were the last couple of seasons. So Arsenal could still pull off a result, but they'll need to improve a lot. I mean, Chelsea have got uh, Slavia Prague, which is probably the easier of the uh, teams left in the hat. But I guess if Chelsea meet Napoli in the final. That would make for a great subplot because you've got <laughs> Ancelotti ex-Chelsea, Sarri ex-Napoli, you know, they sort of be switched around and I guess, well, you know, who would win that one? 
Yeah, I, I mean, let's face it. Chelsea should be one of the favourites to win that competition. You know, in all honesty, if you looked at the squads, then for me, Chelsea would be favourites. But again, we've seen with Chelsea that... You know, they are one of those teams, one week they turn up, the next week they don't turn up. And you've only got to have one of them nights where they don't turn up and it all goes to pop for them. So they should be favourites. They'll get through, obviously, they'll get through that next round, I think, quite comfortably. And I can see Chelsea getting to the final and God forbid I can even see him winning it then. Yeah, I think you're right, unfortunately. But um, we'll go to the Premier League now. And of course, it's all change again. Liverpool knew that only a win would see them return to the summit, and that's exactly what they did against Fulham, just, it must be said. So on the basis of that performance, is it fair to say that Liverpool perhaps have someone else who's really stepped up to the plate as of late? Because we spoke about Mo Salah and the fact he's, you know, he's got a goal drought at the moment, but thankfully for him and for Liverpool, Sadio Mane has taken on the mantle, and he's really finding his goal-scoring groove at the moment. Yeah, he's really stepped up to the plate, isn't he, Dan? You know, he's been, you know, obviously Salah was always going to have a difficult second season after that first one, you know. He was always going to get doubled up on and teams would kind of know what to expect from from him this year. And you're seeing those kind of shots. Last year, he was managing to curl things in the top corners, whereas this year, he doesn't seem to be able to find it so often. Um, and it was starting to look like, well, if Salah's not doing it, you, you could be in trouble. But Mane's come through and he's a brilliant player um you know one that I always think you know we were gutted to miss out on at Spurs because he, he would have been brought something special to our team and he has for Liverpool and as you say with you know his goals lately have been vital to them and they'll just need to make sure he tries to keep that up because it wasn't pretty at the weekend you know it at one point it was looking you know like they could have slipped up again but They've done what they needed to. They've got it over the line. They now throw the pressure back onto City to get a result. And that's all they're going to be able to do in these last games, isn't it? You know, do what they need to, get a win over the line, put the pressure on City to then go out and have to perform and get a result as well. Um, And that's all you can ask for. So I suppose now if you're a Liverpool fan, you don't really care if it's pretty or it's nice. Um, let's just get those three points on the ball and they managed to do that at the weekend job done although the only thing Mane you know I'd like to see if we can try and find that sniper <laughs> who, who was sitting in the crowd <laughs> yeah. yeah I was going to lead on to that pulled on the trigger because that was that was certainly some uh, exaggeration on the uh, on the penalty there wasn't it yeah I mean my question was obviously Sergio Rico's put hands on him but I think you just answered the fact that the theatrics were too much Unfortunately, though, the goalkeeper does allow the question to be asked. And when you're in that position of chasing a Premier League title, you're not going to turn it down, are you? No, I mean, uh, you know, you'll, you'll see it all on Twitter. You know, it seems that any player that goes down, Twitter goes into meltdown over the dive. But as you say, you know, the keeper gives the referee a question. We had this with the Abamyang one, didn't we, in the North London derby. For me, Sanchez gave the referee a decision to make by trying to put a foot in to tackle him. Once you do that, We know nowadays modern players will go down. They will look for it. Um, And as you say, Mane is going to be no different. And if you're a Liverpool fan, you don't really care, do you? You know, you're sitting there saying, yeah, he well over-exaggerates it. We can see that. It looks ridiculous. But we got the penalty and we got the win. I don't really care. You know, he can do that every week as far as I'm concerned. I'll be well happy. Um, And as you say, yeah, the goalkeeper helps the ref give him a decision. But... There are times where you'd like to see that decision. You know, you'd like to see a ref say, I was going to give you a penalty, but because of the ridiculous dive on the floor, I'm sorry, I'm giving it the other way. But yeah, you know, doesn't happen. But if you're a Liverpool fan, you take it all day long. 
In terms of uh, Sadio Mane, is it fair to sort of guess, well, say that there's parallels with Hume Ming Song this season? Because I know we've spoken about Son and what he needs to do to be, you know, world-class or get up to that next level. And it was really like goals on a more consistent basis. Something that Mane's done at Liverpool. So they've both sort of had, a, I guess, their own sort of meteoric rise up to the next level this season, haven't they? Yeah, as you say, they are very similar players, aren't they? Both, you know, exceptionally quick and good with their feet. Um, and yeah, I guess both players really were players that on their day, they'll tear you apart, but they can have those games where if it's not happening for them, you, they, they're kind of passengers in your team and they're easy targets to start looking at and saying, well, what did he do today? He didn't do nothing today. Um, it seems they always have to kind of step up to the plate with goals or assists, you know, whereas someone like Hazard can possibly get away with two or three games where he doesn't seem to add anything, but people still call him world-class and everyone would have him. Yet, you know, the same probably applies to Son and Mane. You know, they're both of that. They both have quiet games, but when they're on fire, there's no, you know, defenders would hate playing against them. Of course, Mane's winner was minutes... Sorry, no, he didn't even get the winner, did he? The penalty that led to the winner, um, that was minutes after Fulham equalised. So Virgil van Dijk showed that, it, I guess he's human, after letting Ryan Babble sneak in and prod home a leveller. Although his goal was one for the not celebrating against the former club brigade. You couldn't have got it much more obvious, could you? So we've mentioned it many times before, Cole, but an important goal like that, at least give it something, eh? Yeah, if you're if you're a fan of Fulham and you you know a player has scored a goal in a game like that, because let's face it now, when doomsday's you know is approaching, you're looking for any highs you can get in a season, aren't you? And possibly holding Liverpool to a draw is something you want to see your players well up for. Um, and uh, you know, apart from his ridiculous barnet, that <laughs> bright red barnet, <laughs> you really want to see him celebrate, don't you? And like, well, come on, mate, you know, you've given us possibly, you know, we've not had many highs this. Year year so this could possibly be a high that that celebrate it the right way um yeah I find it really strange it's not like he's a Liverpool legend is it where you're sitting there going if someone like Steven Gerrard was playing against Liverpool in his last year and didn't score a goal you could maybe understand him not wanting to celebrate too much but let's face it Babel hardly set the world alight at Liverpool and was is hardly looked upon as a Liverpool legend so you may as well enjoy your moment because let's face it he's not going to have too many more at the top level well, this is it. This is what I was thinking. I was watching it. It's like he's been pretty much spit out by Liverpool. He's, like he wasn't left as a, a club legend. So I don't really understand why he's not like in a mood to sort of celebrate. You know, footballers are such a weird beast in this day and age. Like I've always said, if, if it was me, I'd be flicking the V's and everything, kissing the badge. But you know, I think the uh, the whole persona of a modern day footballer has changed uh, far from what we used to know when we were young, eh, Cole? Yeah, I think you know he obviously probably wants to boost his Twitter followers, That's it. Dan. That's you what know, boils down whereas. To. I'm like as you. If, if it's me, on if it was me playing, I'm celebrating, running past with a cup to you. You know, oh, how are you doing? You're right. What's going on? Just scored. So yeah, for me, I don't understand how a player manages to constrain himself. You know, when you've not been, you know, it's, you know, say if you've been a legend at a club and spent your whole career there, then fine. But that was hardly the case in his view. So celebrate as much as you can, mate. Absolutely. Overall, it was a good day for Merseyside as the race for top four has taken another interesting turn. So Chelsea, they had a game in hand, which they'd used up on Sunday, a trip to Goodison Park. And they knew that a win against Everton, um, who, what, I guess folded against Newcastle the week before. Had they won that, they would have gone level with Arsenal. Unfortunately, from Rich Osari and his men, it was a huge opportunity miss, wasn't it? Yeah, this really Chelsea are just a real strange side, aren't they? Because if they're on it, 
they can still give anyone in the Premier League a game and, you you know, you wouldn't want to play them. If you said select me an opponent you wouldn't want to play, Chelsea would be in that bracket of teams that you'd say, no, nah, I wouldn't want to play them. But they are, as I say, they're either really hot and they give you, you know, they can give you the run around or they just turn up and they are abysmal and, you know, they just don't seem to want to play. You've got players who should be turning it on, don't turn it on. Um and this weekend, look, you know, the second half looked like another example of that, didn't they? You know, they, they played well in the first half and you thought, well, you know, if they carry on that sort of performance in the second half, they'll, they'll get the breakthrough. But they just never come out after half-time. And you kind of wonder what was said at half-time that make them come out so lethargic and put that performance in because they had a great chance. And in theory now, as we said earlier, any slip-up can just throw you out of that and cost you dearly. And I think Chelsea might find that that performance will cost them in that battle for the top four now. Yeah, because I've got in my notes here that on the first 45 minutes, you know, even at nil-nil, you've sort of thought to yourself, it's a case of if and not when they go in front. Like, you look like on the balance of probabilities they're going to win it. But like you say, after the interval, they were a completely different team because Everton were nothing in the first half. It's almost as if the, the role switched, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, you know, if it hadn't been for Pickford and maybe some poor finishing, then, as you say, Chelsea should have been in the lead and possibly seen that game out. Um, and then you're sitting there thinking, well, OK, you just got to go in at half-time and listen, we need more of the same. It's not done, you know, but you're playing really well. Just get out, do what you've been doing and we'll win. But it's just like they came out and all of a sudden now, it's we, well, we can't be bothered now. You know, we, we had our chance, we've blown it, and the heads dropped straight away. And you could see it straight from the kickoff at the second half. You know, Everton went straight down the other end, nearly scored at the beginning of the half. And at that point, Chelsea just never recovered. And I think that that is a problem at that club is there doesn't seem to be that, you know, mentality of digging in and getting results when the chips are down. You know, they're either brilliant or if they don't, none of them feel in the mood, then they're, they're there for the taking. And it just seemed after half-time, that's what happened. And Everton took full advantage, you know. Um, you know, un- unfortunate with the penalty, obviously, because he makes a good save. But, you know, when the ball drops straight back at the feet of the striker, there's not much you can do. But Everton could have had another two or three easily in that second half. Do you reckon Sigurdsson will be on penalty duty? Because I think that's the third one he missed. I know he got the rebound, but I think it was... Uh, was it Watford and Fulham that he also missed against this season? So, not the uh, the most confident with penalties, it seems. Yeah, he didn't look happy. I mean, even when he scored, yeah, you could see like, his celebration <laughs> was like, for, I've got away with this here. And, you know, yeah, it was. <laughs> I don't think there might be question marks around, oh, where we get the next one? Do you actually take it? Uh, not so sure, but... I, you know, it's strange, isn't it, how someone who's so good at set play, especially from like free kicks around the box, struggles from 12 yards. But maybe he's just going through that run, but he'll just get back on them at the training ground and hopefully sort that out. But, yeah, I think there might be a few looks the next time Everton get a penalty to see who wants to step up. In terms of Chelsea, is it Europa League exploits and Thursday-Sunday rearing its ugly head? Because after the two Kiev games, they've earned just a point, And that one point came through a very late... Eden Hazard equaliser. So, you know, can you blame that quick turnaround of matches or is there a more overriding issue? I think, yeah. I mean, the Thursday-Sunday has always been the curse of teams, isn't it, in the Europa League? You know, we always felt it was a curse for us um, when we were in it. You know, it, it doesn't just help with the, the mood around how you're playing. You know, that Thursday-Sunday, it's a horrible little rotor to get into. Um 
but I don't really think there's any excuse nowadays. You know, there's sort of, you know, let's face it as well, these sides travel in sort of first class. They're not going in, you know, economy class or coaches anymore. So, you know, they, they won't be doing a lot of training either. You know, it'll just be getting in and conditioning work and making sure they're ready. So I don't really think in this day and age we can class that kind of travel and that as being the biggest problem that they have. Um, I just think with Chelsea, it's a mentality issue within that squad. And one, as we've spoke about before, Dan, you know, they all need to try and root out what's going on there because they they are one of those teams, again, that are on that kind of constant merry-go-round of get a new guy in, have a little bit of a burst and a you know a good mood swing, then it drops, then everyone starts questioning it and people seem to not want to play for the manager and then you know get rid of the manager, get a new one in and repeat that cycle. And I think Chelsea need to look to try and get out of that, especially with their transfer ban coming because that's going to cause them big problems. Yeah, I mean, I must admit the fact that they went to appeal and it didn't get shaved off because usually it's a case of we will appeal and you get one window open, quick, spend the lot, and then, you know, you sort of just get enough to sort of see you through to the rest of the season. Not with Chelsea, so that's a real poke in the eye for them, isn't it? Yeah, that, that, that will cause them problems, especially as well if, you've, you know, if you consider if someone like Hazard goes in the summer, then, you know, not being able to bring someone in to replace him could be a real issue. I mean, they've got hudson Adoy, who I think looks like he's going to be a terrific player. Um, but you would still, you know, you'd still want to be able to bring a couple more in to boost you if someone like Hazard goes. So, yeah, I, I think that could be a real problem for Chelsea and one that, you know, possibly could cost them again next season. Because the way they're looking right now, you know, if they can't bring anyone in, do I see that squad being able to produce even more next season? I'm not so sure, especially if it loses one of its key players. For Everton, I guess it was a very welcome win. As per, though, you never know what's going to happen in their next outing. Um, so inconsistent, but they've not had many highlights this season. So that win will be celebrated and also foster some momentum while going into the, into the international break, won't it? Yeah, I mean, Everton seem to be one of those sides, don't they? They get a result that you think, oh, could that kickstart them? And then they'll go and lose to someone really random the following week. And I, you know, I know, you know, they got the nil-nil against Liverpool that kind of felt like a win. And you kind of hope that that would be the springboard. And then they go two up at Newcastle and you're thinking, right, you know, maybe things have changed. And, you know, the, the momentum's getting going and there's a good feeling. And then all of a sudden they lose that game and you think, oh, God, all that good work has been undone. Um, so I think, yeah, it was key that they got a win there. But again, you know, it's making sure you can do it week in, week out, isn't it? It's consistency by the looks of it at Everton. I guess they'll just have to hope that they can get through to the end of the season now, try and put in some good performances and then start again rebuilding from the summer. Um I suppose the big question there for some Everton fans is do they want Silver to be the man that gets the next transfer budget? I, I think he should be given a bit more time, but I know, you know, there are some Everton fans who don't really want to see him given 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 it any longer. Yeah, I think Everton's a tricky one really. I mean we've spoken about them at length this season and I think you're right in the sense that Silver just needs a bit more time, um, because I think you know there's been so much upheaval in such a short space of time with what Kuman, Allardyce, Silver. You can't hit the reset button again. Well, you can. You've got every right to. But, you know, what do they really gain? Will the grass be green on the other side? You never know. I just think at least give him a couple more months. If they get off to an iffy start, then ask the questions. But I think you've got to be seen to sort of be building those building blocks and try and take the club forward. But, you know, 
It's a very cutthroat business, as we all know. So, um, as we go to Saturday's league events, when you score three away from home and still don't win, you know it's not been your day. For Huddersfield, it just hasn't been their season, has it? Oh, yeah. I mean, they they must be kicking themselves for that because... You know, you didn't fancy him going into that game. You know, West Ham at home can be a tricky side. And you kind of, I guess everyone would have had their accumulators, West Ham, to win that game comfortably. And then all of a sudden you flick over and see that West Ham are 3-1 down. And you're thinking, what is going on here? You know, did not expect this at all. And those Huddersfield players must have been buzzing at that point. And then just to see it all slip away and then lose it in, in injury time, that's a real sickener. But it just kind of sums their season up. I think doesn't it you know it's been it's been kind of a disaster from day one and that kind of result just kind of lets you know well this is what it's going to be this year Um, and as we've said previous weeks you know for them now it's just about getting getting the infrastructure and getting that club ready for next season and the push that they're going to need to do in the championship Um, but yeah unbelievable um, game that one Um, and I can't believe they would have seen losing that from 3-1 up no, not at all. I mean, in terms of the Hammers, they just about keep their hopes of a top seven finish alive. So we spoke about them being better at home a couple of weeks ago, and they just about proved that on Saturday. Um, if they are to make out the ground on Wolves and Watford, they're going to need a few more away wins, aren't they, between now and the end of the season? Yeah, it's been a real problem for them this year, isn't it, their waveform? Um, they're a real difficult proposition at home, that's for sure. Um, but they just can't seem to put those performances in away from home. Um, and I guess that's the next level, isn't it? You know, this year, I think they would have... This year's probably been a good year for West Ham because there hasn't been, you know, the toxic feeling around the club about the stadium and the owners. They've kind of got a good manager in. He's settled the place down. They've got some quality players there um, and they've had a better run in the league. And I think now it's about, you know, the next level of progression is, again, have a summer where you can bring in some even more quality and try and keep hold of the quality that you've got, even though that's going to be hard. Um, and just, you know, if you can just keep adding bits of quality, then each year you're hoping that you'll improve and suddenly you're pushing on the top five and top six and just, you know, progressing from there. And I guess that's what their plan's going to be. You know, they've seen signs that, you know, they can possibly do that and they might only be, you know, two or three players away from actually progressing to the next level. But, yeah, you need to get results away from home, you know, even if it's a point. You can't go losing silly games to teams that are down in the relegation battle, that's for sure. And away win was something that Leicester achieved, and with 10 men for 86 minutes. So, Harry Maguire, I mean, he didn't really mean to execute that poor challenge, but by the letter of the law, he had to go, didn't he? And also, Michael Oliver was not hanging around in terms of getting that card out. Whipped it right out, didn't he? No fuss. Yeah. Straight away, he kind of, he, he was convinced, you know, that was what was, you know, that's what he'd seen was what he wants to give a red card for. Um, and I guess you have to praise that, you know, he'd made a quick decision. He was confident in what he was doing and he gives the decision and possibly Maguire, you know, doesn't really give him much choice. Um, and yeah, as you say, I'm not sure Maguire means to do what he does, but it's unfortunate. But for Leicester, that's an, you know, good away win, as you say, given the fact down to 10 men for so long. Um, and that will just start help breeding a good feeling around that club for next season, isn't it? Because again, now, you know, new manager, um, one that they'll have high hopes can start pushing them on. Um, and, you know, results like that just start bedding them in for next season and, you know, getting that good feeling going around the club. I mean, that win just about keeps him in the race for seventh. Probably the outside looking in, but, you know, 
we were sort of looking at this period as a just a set of dead rubbers and a really like a an excuse for Rodgers to look at players that he might want to keep and might want to get rid of. But now it's sort of you think, well, you know what, Europa League's not it's not too far away, and it's looking like a very shrewd appointment already, isn't it? Yeah, I, you know, obviously we know Rodgers was unlucky with Liverpool, wasn't he? You know, they they were so close to pretending, you know, winning that title. Um, he's gone away, got some, you know, pedigree now of winning titles, even if it is just up in Scotland, you know, and the way people view Scottish football. But that would have given him some really good experience and, you know, give him something to come back and say, well, actually, I know what it takes to get over the line. Um, And, you know, Leicester have got a decent squad there. You know, unfortunately, some of it's ageing, which would be the next challenge to try and bring players in that can replace those that, you know, possibly won't have the legs to keep going for a full season next year. But there's stuff to build on there. And I think, you know, if Rodgers can get it right and bring in some good players in the summer, then, you know, there's a lot to be um, excited about if you're a Leicester fan. Because you say Europa League's not too far away right now. And you just like to think, well, we build properly in the summer here and we could give this, you know, a real push next season. Well, for Burnley, it's now three league defeats in a row. So before that, eight unbeaten. Everyone's thinking, yeah, go on, Burnley, they're going to be safe. You know, Dyche has done it again. All of a sudden, looking over their shoulder, it's getting a bit tense at Turf Ball right now, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, they had that result against us, didn't they, Dan, where, you know, they kind of put the real dent in our title challenge. And that day they looked a real decent side and they've just dropped right off a cliff since then. And they can't seem to put a performance in now for love nor money. It's been a real strange season for Burnley. I think the, you know... The Europa League has kind of caused them real problems because, you know, they were so focused on that early on. Um, And now, yeah, it's kind of had a knock-on effect for them for the whole of the season. They just can't seem to put a settled run or performances together. And it looks like it's, you know, they'll just hope that they can survive this year and then try to go again next year. But, you know, you you kind of struggle to see how they can improve again. But maybe without that distraction this year early on of the Europa League, it'll give um, Daesh a chance to work on them and come back more solid next season. And the final game of Saturday saw Bournemouth and Newcastle play out an entertaining two-all draw, a point that all but keeps Bournemouth safe if you sort of do the maths, and probably just about does the same for Magpies as well. I mean, maybe one more win for Newcastle, but with a form they're in, it looks more than achievable. So... I guess a point suits both parties. Um, mid-table security looks like on the menu for both. Yeah, I think, you know, yeah, Newcastle, again, it, it, the question there is what's going to happen. You know, can they get the investment they need to give someone like Rafa the players to push them on a bit more? Um, if they don't, then you see next season will be a little bit more of the same, won't it? And, you know... They'll, they'll kind of struggle, you know, they'll win some games, lose some games. So I guess for them, again, yeah, the, the hope will be that they can get some investment next season and sign some players that can push them on because that that club there, Newcastle, if you can get it right there, that is a massive club that, you know, you really could have it behind you to make turn them into a real giant in football. I mean, I was looking at some infograph the other day and it was like a sort of time-shifted like rolling graph and it had the biggest spenders in Europe over like since I don't know 95 or something and it was like Blackburn and Newcastle in the top spend, 10 spenders of Europe and it just sort of goes to show that how the land of football has changed in such a short space well not say short but you know quarter of a century or something but people forget Newcastle were real big spenders and you know changing for Premier League being in the Champions League there's always a case of the sleeping giant there isn't there 
yeah, I, you know, I, I'm always surprised because when, as you say, there was a great graph going around on Twitter, wasn't there, a little while ago, of the club spending over the last 10 or so years where you could see it in a graph format and you saw like Newcastle and Blackburn suddenly come up into the top, you know, four or five and then drop out suddenly drastically. Um, I've always sat there and thought, you know, if, if some, you know, if there's a, some arab country looking to invest like they did in city then newcastle is a club if you could go there and get it right it's a massive ground that up there up in newcastle it's football you know they all love their football no matter what you could turn that into a real fortress and one of the world powers of football if just someone goes and gets it right there and they were so close a little while ago but they've just dropped so far off of that it's unreal yeah, I mean, the selling point with Newcastle is that, for all intents and purposes, it's a, a one-club city, isn't it? You know, there's no direct rival like a city or United in Manchester. Like, if you bought into Newcastle, you are literally buying the city, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. You know, you're born in Newcastle. You're born, you know, with, with black and right, white running through your veins, aren't you? You know, they're all passionate about it. You know, your mum, your nan, your dad, your granddad, your kids... It's Newcastle, 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 and they'll fill that ground out week in, week out. Um, you'll never have any problems filling St. James's Park out. Um, and it is, it's just there. It's ready and waiting for someone to turn it into a powerhouse. And, you know, the money that, for me, I'm surprised because there must be some serious money to be made if you turn that club into a world powerhouse because those people would rather pay to go and watch their club or buy a shirt than actually probably go and buy food. So if there are any Arab investors out there, contact Cole. He'll take yeah, a 10% finder's fee and um, <laughs> the rest is history. So Yes, yeah, I'm happy with that, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Millions of pounds just around the corner. Uh, finally, I've got to mention Mill Brighton in sort of more detail. So let's do that one quickly. Brighton, they really left it late, didn't they? I mean, I know they won on penalties, but you're looking at the game. Two down after 88 minutes and Millwall fans were almost ready to fight amongst themselves at Wembley once again. However, something of a huge goalkeeper rap present right at the death of a normal time gave the Seagulls a very unlikely equaliser. And then from then on, obviously, the penalty win. Harsh for Millwall. I know Neil Harris says the goalkeeper wasn't to blame after sort of apologising to the dressing room. But really, he was to blame, wasn't he? Oh, it's a massive howler, isn't it, Dan? You know, I mean, that that one there, you've just got to push that away and you're into a semi-final. Um, and something that keepers practice, you know, you know, regularly and on the training ground and wouldn't even think twice about. So whether or not he just suddenly was already in his mind, he'd already caught it and was looking forward to a trip to Wembley in a semi-final. Um, and unfortunately, that can be devastating because you see the kind of mistake that he makes and straight through your hands. And then at that point, you know, it's hard to recover from that in, you know, in that circumstance, you know, you, you Losing that goal and letting them equalise at that point, that really just drains you. Um, and as we saw, Millwall weren't really able to get it going again to uh, push themselves over the line. But they'll be kicking themselves because that, that should have just been easy, dealt with. And they're in the semi-final of a cup. Yeah, I mean, one of them lost their right at the end, didn't they? With that awful stamp. That I can't remember who the back it was now, but raked it right down the back of the calf. And you think, well, head's gone there, isn't it? You've had your opportunity. Yeah, that's it. And that's it. Yeah, that's it. Once that equaliser goes in, I think it's hard to recover from that, you know, because you are sitting there just thinking, well, we see this out. We see this free kick out. We're in the semi-final. We're at Wembley. We're playing one of the big boys. You know, this will be, you know, the day of our season. And next thing you know, it's gone and you're suddenly sitting there thinking, 
oh, how do we recover from this? And yeah, before you know it, you're out and you're looking back thinking, have we managed to lose this game? Has Neil Harris got a bit of a job on his hands now for the rest of the season? Because Mill aren't really safe for relegation from the Championship. Is there a danger of that potential result you know, deflating them even further and thinking, hang on, we could be then sucked into League One next season? Yeah, it can do, can't it? It can have a real, you know, negative effect on your squad. But then, you know, the only hope is you've got to go in and just say, look, you know, this is our fight. You've just pushed the Premier League side. So, you know, if you can do that to a Premier League side, you should be able to beat the sort of sides you're playing for the rest of the season. Um, and you never know. It may galvanise them. You know, the players may be disappointed, so disappointed that they want to prove a point. But, yeah, there could be a worry that it, it can then turn into a negative pretty quickly. You know, lose the next couple of games. And before you know it, you're in a spiral that you can't get out of. And Brighton, they've got the perhaps wanted or, I don't know, unwanted uh, pairing of Manchester City. They don't get much bigger than that. So a big day out for the, uh, the South Coast outfit. Any chance of them going into the final itself? Well, you never know. You I never guess know. In, F- in, in FA Cup football, you never know. You know, look how close Swansea were. Um, so I think you have to go into it giving yourselves a chance. But, you know, that could be one of them games that if City are in the mood, within 15, 20 minutes, you could be three or four down possibly. And then you're just looking to make sure you don't get embarrassed. So you never know. Um, but I don't see City, uh, sorry, sorry, I don't see Brighton being able to cause City too many problems. And I think City will probably brush them aside quite comfortably yeah I think you're right on that uh, case I think like you say um, sorry City Wolves final looks like it could be a decent showpiece event I mean I can't even remember the last time I actually sat down and watched a cup final to be honest can you no I mean yeah like you say (laughs) none that have really kind of excited you too much background TV for the last few years Yes, right. I, you know, the Arsenal and, you know, sorry, the United-Chelsea game you knew was going to be one that neither team were going to try and look to just make a mistake. Whereas if you've got Wolves and Man City, then I'm like you, Dan. I'd really look forward to watching that because, you know, Wolves won't be scared to go and try and attack um, and take the game to City. And obviously we know City will do that themselves to Wolves. So you could have a real open cup final there, which would be great to watch. Let's hope that's the case. I think that's about time. So, yeah, not uh, the fullest of weeks on the pitch, but we still managed to waffle on for 60 minutes or so. So, Carl, a sterling effort as per usual. No worries, Dan. Been a pleasure, mate. Cheers, mate. International break next week. So, I don't know what I'm doing next week. So, I'll worry about the format. Um, but, you know, as per subscribe, um, just get involved and just keep enjoying the show. So, thanks to everyone who listens. It's always a pleasure to do the show. I know Carl enjoys it as well. And with that, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast in association with Loser Paul. And until next time, goodbye. Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.